0: Good teams hold each other accountable. In one of the most memorable games in Olympic history, the US ice hockey team was minutes from beating the Soviets in the 1980 Winter Olympics. And a player was about to head onto the ice as a referee watched. If he made it over the boards, they would have been called for too many men on the ice, extending a power play for their opponents. But at the last moment, his teammate grabbed him and pulled him back onto the bench. It was this accountability to one another That would help them defeat the Soviets and go down in history as the miracle on ice. You know, the same can be said about community, especially in the church. When someone has made a mistake or sins, we should hold them accountable. And if we see them going down the wrong path, we should do our best to help them from going in that direction.
1: How we handle sin in our community and how we handle those who are found in sin in our community tells a great deal about how much we love God, how much we love them, and how much love we have for our community.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. What we do affects others. We don't live in a vacuum. This week, Charles Tapp brings understanding to what it means to be our brother's keeper and its impact on the larger community. As he shares his message, our brother's keeper.
1: Several years ago, I read a book titled Whatever Became of Sin by the author-psychologist Carl Minninger. And in the opening paragraph of his book, he tells a very interesting story of a man who stood on a street corner one day in Chicago, Illinois in 1972. And nothing really occurred at first Until a few minutes passed by, and as individuals were walking by, he began to point at them and began to cry out, guilty, guilty, guilty. And then he would stop for a few moments, and then this whole escapade began again, and as individuals, unsuspecting, would pass by again, he cried out as he pointed at them, guilty, guilty, and finally, another gentleman arrived at the scene, and as the gentleman saw him, he pointed at him directly and said, guilty. The man looked bewildered and puzzled, and he turned to the person standing next to him and said, but how did he know? <laughs> I can't make this up. Although he knew nothing about these individuals. He didn't know anything about their background. He didn't have any information on where they worked or where they lived. This man knew. For he had uncompromising certainty that each of these individuals that he pointed at and said guilty were exactly that. Guilty. And the reason he could say that, the reason he could give them this guilty verdict... Is not because of some crime that they committed against the state, but rather he could pronounce this sentence of guilty upon each one who walked by because of a crime that was committed against heaven. For as the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the church at Rome, he says, for all have what? Sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And the all have sin reference that Paul makes here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Paul is not referring to the actual sins that you and I commit each and every day of our lives. But rather, Paul is referring to sin in the context of Adam's sin. For Adam's sin was transferred to all of humanity. We refer sometimes to this as inherited sin. We didn't do anything, we just inherited. Now, whether we think this is fair or not is really not the issue at hand. Because we're still not innocent, because we still have sinned since that. But the mere fact that that God has ordained it this way, it really leaves no room for argument. But this relationship with sin that we have through Adam, that we have inherited pronouncing us guilty is not all that there is to this discussion turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5 as I want to take a look at this briefly this morning Romans 5 as we look at just two verses verse 12 and verse 17 look at what God's word says therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because what? All have sinned. All have sinned based on the fact that we have inherited it from Adam. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense, look at this now, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying here? Yes, all of us have sin. We have sinful natures, because of Adam's sin, one man, now all men have sin, all humankind. But then he says something else. He says, listen, but because of one man's righteousness, all now have the potentiality of possessing the righteousness of God. Amen. So for those of us who think it's unfair to have inherited sin, do you think it's also unfair to have inherited righteousness through one man? We cannot have it both ways. Some argue against this idea of grace being made available to all until they are standing in the need of receiving that grace From someone else. But although the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden is the first human sin, listen, it is not, it is not the first recorded sin in scripture. That honor we know goes to Lucifer himself. Let's take a look at it briefly this morning. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 to verse 16. For you have said in your heart, God talking to Lucifer here, I will ascend into heaven and will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Listen, the fact that sin began in of all places heaven can be a hard pill for many of us to follow, especially when we begin to come to grips of what sin really is. All throughout our years, we've heard sin described and defined as falling short or missing the mark. But although that may be true, the essence of what sin is goes much deeper than that. Sin goes to the idea of a departure from what is expected as well as what is accepted. Sin involves a breaking away, not only from God, but sin involves also a breaking away from man sin at its core dear friends is an act of rebellion it has been said that sin is the willful disregard or sacrifice of the welfare of others for the welfare of the satisfaction of one In other words, when you sin and when I sin, we're not thinking about others. We're only thinking about the satisfaction of ourselves. I know this is a hard message to hear. It was an equally hard message to write. And that being the case, at the root of sin lies within the individual, a prideful heart, a heart that desires more Than what is in his or her best interest, or even the best interest of others. This is why it says in Proverbs 16, verse 18, that pride goes before what? Destruction, and a haughty spirit before what? Before a fall. Meaning, When you and I have an overrated opinion of our importance, ourselves, our place, and our opinions, we are setting ourselves up for a fall. Sin causes us to elevate our opinions and raises the importance of the fulfillment of our needs above that and even above the needs of others. Simply put. Pride can cause you to disregard both God and the place that he desires to have in our lives. But it also can cause us to disregard our fellow brothers and sisters and the place that they have been designed to have in our lives as well. But having said all that, have you noticed as of late that sin seems to be disappearing from the landscape of our culture? I don't mean the acts of sin, I mean the vocabulary. When was the last time you heard someone say, I sinned? Now we use words like, I had a shortcoming or it was just an indiscretion. And I'm sure you're familiar with this one. I just had a lapse in judgment. No, you sinned. Call it what you might, call it what you may, We sinned. We willfully departed from God's divine intentional will for us. And by doing so, it is an act of rebellion on your part and mine. I don't care if the civil authorities call it a crime. In God's eyesight, it's sin. And by using these other words and in place of the word sin, it's like we're trying to remove God out of the equation as to being the one to whom we are fundamentally responsible to. Responsible to the state, yeah. Responsible to the federal government, okay. But responsible to God, oh no. It was just a lapse in judgment. But regardless of what society calls it, God expects his people to call sin exactly what it is. A rebellion against God's divine intentional will for humanity. That being the case, as Christians, as God's community of believers, We should possess the same disdain, the same hatred, the same repulsive attitude towards sin, whatever sin it may be, and its potentially devastating impact that it can have on our lives as well as the lives of others that God himself has. Many of us still have what I call the Adam and Eve syndrome. You know what the Adam and Eve syndrome is? You don't believe what God says about sin. You have to see for yourself. When I was a young kid growing up in St. Louis, my parents told us never to play with fire because fire, as you know, can have devastating impact, can it not? But one day they were gone and my sister and I were playing and Even back then, I used to like to put stuff together and experiment. So I I took this shoebox and put a light bulb in it and connected it to the lamp and plugged it in. And I said to my sister, I wonder what will happen if I take this alcohol and pour it on this hot light bulb. She, being older than me, said, don't do that because you could possibly catch the house on fire. But I had the Adam and Eve syndrome. I had to see, thank God my parents are no longer here because they don't even know about this. <laughs> this is the first time I think I'm even telling this story. So I decided to take this bottle of rubbing 70% alcohol, rubbing alcohol, and pour it on this hot light bulb. And you don't have to be a scientist or an engineer to know what happened next. Poof. Fire came. Luckily, my sister was there. We put it all together through the evidence of way, and my parents went to their graves. I'll tell them about this in the Earth Made New, because then it won't really matter. Amen? Why is it we have to try it for
0: ourselves? You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Our Brother's Keeper. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this.
2: Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family and uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people like you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time Turning 91.9 they are definitely up with the spirits and uh, especially the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family and I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is a family and we get to be a part of that as listeners which is
0: Listener-funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging at 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life, and what we do affects others. This week, Charles Tapp brings understanding to what it means to be our brother's keeper and its impact on the larger community. As he concludes his message, our
1: brother's keeper. Why is it we have to try it? for ourselves isn't there enough evidence already that sin harms the individual as well as the community why don't we possess the same disdain for sin that God does but in order for this to occur we've got to have an unwavering love for God and his word amen I know it's a rough message. Look at this quotation by Abraham Wright. He's the pastor of the Church of England back in the 17th century. None can hate sin but those that love the law of God. And by law, it's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about whatever proceeds from the mouth of God. But look at this last statement. For all hatred comes from what? Love. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the paradox of Christianity. Doesn't that sound like a paradox? That all hatred comes from love? But as we said in talking about paradoxes, just because it's a paradox doesn't mean it's true. Not true. Because when you investigate it further, you realize it can be true. And in this case, it is true. All hatred comes from love. Good hatred, that is. For if I love God's law, then I must hate anything that opposes the law of God. Amen? If I love or have a high regard and respect for human life, then I must hate the idea of breaking the sixth commandment that says, and you shall not what? Kill. If I love and respect and have high regard for the truth, then I must abhor violating the commandment that says thou shalt not bear false witness in order for me to hate sin I've got to love God's law if we truly respect God and his law we must come to grips with the idea that we are truly our brother and sister's keeper we're only going to look at a few verses to Genesis chapter 4 if we look at verses 6 to verse 9 the Lord cried to Cain. We all know this story, Cain and Abel. God asked him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, talking about the sacrifice that he brought, you will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And, if, and its desire is for you, but you should, what, rule over it. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and what? Killed him. Verse nine. Pride. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your where is Abel your brother? Listen to Cain's response. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What an interesting response on the part of Cain. But what I find even more interesting is the question on the part of God. Where is your brother Abel? Because the Lord knew full well that Cain had taken his brother's life. Stay with me. So why in the world would he approach him with this question, where is your brother? Now, there's no absolute way you and I can be our brother or our sister's keeper. There's no way humanly possible we can be accountable for everything that someone does. We can't keep up with everything and everyone at all times. But this one thing is true, that we are our brother and our sister's keeper in the sense that you and I are responsible for their peace and our peace to play in that peace because when I sin against you I help to rob you of your peace and why is this because as Paul reminds us in Romans 14:7, none of us none of us lives to himself what I do impacts you what you do impacts me. What we do impacts our larger community, whether it be something that is positive or whether it be something that is negative, whether it's something, whether we build up something or we're tearing something down, sin always impacts others. I've heard people say, well, I'm just hurting myself. No. Every time we sin, it impacts the life of some one else whether positively or negatively and because we live in community because we have chosen to do life together how we handle sin in our community and how we handle those who are found in sin in our community tells a great deal about how much we love God how much we love them and how much love we have for our community. And let's be clear God expects the church, his community of faith on the earth, to have a hatred, a disdain for sin in all of its forms, while at the same time possessing a heart for the brother or sister that has been found under the weight of their sinful practices and behaviors. I don't know what it is about us sometimes that we want to shoot our wounded. Does it make us feel as though we are somehow elevated? Because regardless of what sin has been made public in an individual's life, Paul made it clear to us, We have inherited sin, all of us, all of us. So when you look in the mirror each morning, when I look in the mirror, you see the church and I see the church, but we also see who? A sinner. Thank God, though it's a sinner saved by grace. Who says amen for that today? For by one man sin came into the world, but by one man through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we all can receive his grace. But God expects His church, that's you, that's me, to deal with sin in the same redemptive manner that God deals with it. And that is by hating the sin, but loving the sinner. Hating the sin, but loving the sinner. And Paul, to his letter to the church at Galatia, gave some very sound biblical counsel as to how the church should respond to someone who has fallen in sin. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 as we draw to a close this morning. Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any sin, you who are hurt, spiritual, you know the word spiritual means? It is not a synonym for religious. Because a whole lot of religious people do a great deal of harm, especially when it comes to individuals who have fallen. This word spiritual means someone who is under the guiding direction of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to that. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or any sin, you who are being led under the guidance of the Spirit of God, restore such a one in a what? Spirit of gentleness. That word restore is similar to someone breaking an arm or breaking a limb and putting that limb in a cast so that it can heal. So that word restore is all about healing. In other words, put them in a place, put them in a position so they can heal. Amen. Considering yourself lest you also what? Be tempted. Look at verse two. Bear one another's Burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. My job, your job, is not to abandon someone who has fallen into sin. Our job is to be their keeper, our job is to help them heal, our job is to help them to be restored to their rightful position within the body of Christ. But all too often, this is not what takes place. All too often, we think it's our responsibility to shame, and in some cases, maim individuals. But what if Paul said, do this carefully, lest, don't you forget, you too could fall. So Paul isn't saying minimize sin. Paul says hate sin, and you hate sin by loving God. He says, hate sin, but here's how you treat the sinner. And guess what? You are one, Paul says. So in other words, treat that brother or that sister who has fallen the way you would desire to be treated if the situation was reversed. And that's how we can be our brother's keeper. First, by not sinning against them. And secondly, by helping to restore them when they fall. Because all of us have fallen. All of us need the grace of God. Who says amen to that today?
0: You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Our Brother's Keeper. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week.
1: And a mother's love will be with their child through thick and through thin. Most of us can attest
0: to how much a mother loves her children and the lengths she'll go for them. And as Charles Tapp explains next week, this love of a mother in a very real way is God's way of revealing his heart towards us. You won't want to miss this special Mother's Day message next week titled, A Mother's Love. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.
2: When I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. We are family. Your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. like if you want to listen to something, to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time. turn to 91.9, um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the triumph time we're in right now, in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We- I am forever grateful for, for the WGTS family because that's exactly what it is, a family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, is amazing.
0: Listener-funded WGTS
1: 91.9.
0: Always encouraging.
1: At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore.